James Dunn explores the literary habits of the Apostle Paul in including a personal postscript at the end of several of his epistles, which Paul seemingly wrote by hand in contrast to the main body of the letter, likely dictated to a scribe. These handwritten conclusions, Dunn notes, can be found in passages like Galatians 6.11, 1 Corinthians 16.21-24, and 2 Thessalonians 3.17, with probable inclusions in Romans 16.17-20 and Colossians 4.18. The practice echoes a broader epistolary tradition, allowing the author a final, emphatic word on the themes addressed in the correspondence. In his examination, Dunn interprets Paul's personal sign-off as a deliberate tool to emphasize key messages of the letter, thereby removing any ambiguity about his convictions. It is here that he passionately confronts the contentious issue of circumcision, a topic that could potentially divide the early Christian community. Dunn identifies Paul's trenchant distinction between the Jewish rite of circumcision and the Christian symbol of the cross, with the latter held as central to Paul's theological framework in verses 6.12 and 14.15 of Galatians. The Apostle's strong plea in 6.17, in which he desires to avoid further troubles regarding circumcision, further exemplifies the tension between Judaic law and the new covenant represented by the cross. Notably, the lack of personal greetings in this part of Galatians could reflect Paul's agitation with his recipients, likely resulting from their internal disputes concerning Jewish customs as surmised by Dunn. This tension is clear from the structure of the letter itself, which Dunn suggests mirrors the beginning in a chiastic form, where the opening addresses and greetings, 1, 1, 5, are reflected upon in the final postscript, connecting with Paul's vehement criticism early in the letter, 1, 6, 9. Dunn's analysis accentuates how Paul's personal notes serve not just as a signature, but as strategic emphases on the most pressing issues, the affirmation of the cross over circumcision in this case, reinforcing his teachings and solidifying his authority over the content and doctrinal directions of his letters. These handwritten endings are crafted to resonate with the recipient, ensuring that Paul's primary theological points are clearly understood and unequivocally communicated. Also, Dunn provides a detailed examination of the Apostle Paul's unique use of large letters in his epistle. Dunn explores various interpretations and implications of this stylistic choice, affirming its significance in understanding Paul's message and intent. At the outset, Dunn addresses the use of the aorist tense in this verse, suggesting it is an epistolary aorist. This term refers to a tense used from the perspective of the letter's recipients. In this context, it implies that Paul is speaking about his current act of writing, asserting the immediacy and personal involvement in the message he is conveying. Dunn then delves into the reasons behind Paul's use of large letters. One theory he considers is that Paul might have had a physical limitation, such as an injury to his hand or poor eyesight, which necessitated this approach. This idea is supported by references to possible visual impairment in other parts of Paul's writings. However, Dunn finds this explanation less convincing within the specific context of Galatians 6. He argues that mentioning a physical impairment as a sympathy plea would contradict the more commanding and direct tone in the following verses. Instead, Dunn proposes that the large letters are a deliberate stylistic choice by Paul, intended to highlight the importance of his message. This emphasis could serve practical purposes, like using more papyrus or making the text easily visible in a congregational setting, 
thereby ensuring that his words reached a broader audience. Dunn posits that this approach reinforces the personal and authoritative nature of Paul's communication, indicating the seriousness and urgency of the content he is about to deliver. In sum, Dunn's interpretation of this passage sheds light on the nuanced communication techniques of the Apostle Paul. By examining both physical and stylistic possibilities for the use of large letters, Dunn offers a comprehensive view of Paul's intent and the importance of his message to the Galatians, reflecting the depth and complexity of his epistolary skills. Moreover, Dunn provides a deep insight into the theological and cultural conflicts in the early Christian community, particularly between Apostle Paul and other Jewish missionaries. Dunn interprets Paul's writing as a strong stance against the necessity of circumcision for Gentile converts, a view opposing that of other Jewish Christian missionaries. Dunn maintains Paul's ironic use of the phrase making a fair showing in the flesh, which refers to circumcision. This choice of words cleverly contrasts the Greek and Jewish cultural perspectives. While Greeks saw the human body's aesthetic beauty, particularly in athletic contexts, as significant. Paul uses the phrase to discuss circumcision, a practice Greeks would view as mutilation. This juxtaposition points out the cultural and religious tensions of the time. The heart of Paul's argument, as Dunn reiterates, is the symbolic importance of circumcision in Judaism. Circumcision was more than a physical act. It was a crucial marker of Jewish identity and covenant with God. Paul's opponents, likely Jewish Christians, advocated circumcision to maintain Jewish identity and privileges. They pushed for circumcision among Gentile converts to integrate them into the Jewish covenant, which was a contentious issue in the early church. Furthermore, Dunn sheds light on the motivation behind this advocacy for circumcision. He contends it was less about avoiding Roman persecution and more about escaping persecution from within the Jewish or Christian Jewish community. This internal strife reflects the early Christian debate about the role of Jewish law and ethnic identity in the nascent faith. Crucially, Dunn repeats the role of the cross of Christ in Paul's theology. For Paul, faith in Christ's crucifixion was sufficient for salvation and inclusion in God's covenant. The insistence by other Jewish Christian missionaries on circumcision, in addition to faith in Christ, diluted the message of the cross. Paul viewed this as undermining the efficacy of Christ's sacrifice, suggesting that more than just faith in Christ's atonement was necessary for salvation. Dunn's interpretation underlines how Paul navigated these complex theological and cultural dynamics to establish the foundations of Christian faith. In addition, Dunn provides a nuanced understanding of the Apostle Paul's critique regarding the practice of circumcision in the early Christian community. Dunn's analysis hinges on deciphering whom Paul might be criticizing in this passage, a task that invites several interpretations. Initially, Dunn considers the possibility that Paul's criticism is directed at a specific group within the Galatian churches. This group, perhaps influenced by other missionaries, had adopted circumcision and was zealously advocating for it, reflecting the enthusiasm often seen in recent converts. This interpretation raises the question of whether these individuals might be some of Paul's own Gentile converts. Alternatively, Dunn suggests that Paul could be using a broader lens, referring to all who place significant value on circumcision, which might include Christian Jewish missionaries in Galatia. This interpretation aligns with the idea that Paul is not just targeting a single group, 
but addressing a wider practice within the early Christian community. Dunn dives deeper into the issue by exploring the critique that those who undergo circumcision do not fully adhere to the law. He presents three main scenarios in this context. The first scenario posits that by accepting circumcision, the Galatians have only begun to observe the law and are still far from complete Jewish observance, a critique that might inadvertently support the goal of those advocating for full conversion to Judaism. The second scenario suggests that if Paul is referring to Christian Jewish missionaries, then the critique is about their inconsistent adherence to the law, being more rigorous than Paul's stance but less so than that of groups like the Pharisees. The third scenario broadens the critique to a general observation about Jewish loyalty and the practice of covenantal gnomism, echoing themes Paul discussed in Romans. Further, Dunn addresses the complexities of Paul's message especially in the latter part of the verse concerning boasting in the flesh. He interprets this as a reference to Jewish confidence in their divine standing, indicated by circumcision. This isn't merely about the physical act of circumcision, but examines deeper issues of ethnic identity and privilege. When Gentiles accept circumcision, they inadvertently endorse Jewish claims of possessing a unique divine favor, thus reinforcing Jewish ethnic and religious superiority. In essence, Dunn's analysis presents a layered understanding of Paul's message in Galatians 6.13. He underscores that Paul's critique is not simply a protest against the act of circumcision or an emphasis on outward appearances. Instead, Paul's argument is deeply rooted in the complexities of ethnic identity, religious practices, and the dynamics between Jewish and Christian beliefs during that period. Dunn's interpretation sheds light on the multifaceted nature of early Christian discourse and the challenges it posed within the context of Jewish and Gentile relations. Besides, Dunn explores the transformative shift in Apostle Paul's beliefs from a staunch upholder of Jewish law to a proponent of faith centered on the crucifixion of Christ. Dunn accentuates that Paul's previous pride in Jewish covenantal privileges gives way to a singular focus on the cross as the only basis for divine acceptance and the receipt of the Holy Spirit. This shift is not merely a reassessment of Jewish-Gentile relations, but a profound revaluation of worldly values and beliefs in their entirety. Paul perceives the world in its unredeemed state as distanced from God and through the cross, he sees a rejection of worldly rationales and values. Dunn affirms the importance of crucifixion imagery in Paul's theology. The crucifixion represents more than Christ's death. It symbolizes the death of the old world and the emergence of new possibilities. This theme is intricately linked to the concept of salvation, which, in Paul's view, involves a deep identification with Christ's crucifixion. This identification signifies a dying to the world and the old self, an idea that Dunn connects to baptism and the reception of the Holy Spirit. This process, Dunn notes, is ongoing. Paul's use of perfect tenses in his writings suggests a continuous state of being crucified with Christ, indicating an enduring detachment from worldly ties. Lastly, Dunn links boasting in physical attributes, like circumcision, to worldly attitudes. He debates that such boasting signifies a failure to grasp the true meaning of the cross. In sum, Dunn presents Paul's message as a radical reorientation from Jewish tradition towards a universal, cross-centric gospel that redefines identity, faith, and salvation. Additionally, 
Duns provides a nuanced understanding of Paul's theological perspective on the distinction between the old and new creations. In this verse, Paul dismisses the importance of circumcision, a significant ritual in Jewish tradition, implying that neither being circumcised nor uncircumcised holds intrinsic value in the Christian faith. Instead, what matters is being part of the new creation. Dunn asserts that this stance of Paul serves as a critique against overvaluing ethnic identity and ritualistic practices that were central to Jewish culture. These practices, although intended to differentiate the Jews as special to God, paradoxically align them with a world that was distanced from God and subject to his judgment. Dunn explores the use of the term world in Paul's writings, contrasting it with creation. The world refers to the present age, dominated by sin and alienation from God. While creation can encompass both the current and the forthcoming age, the new creation, as Dunn interprets, is the transformed world that emerges with the advent of Christ. This transformation is central to Paul's eschatology, where Christ's death symbolizes the breaking of sin and death's dominion, and his resurrection marks the beginning of a new era. For believers, this new creation signifies a transformative journey. Identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection means participating in this new reality. It is a process of becoming more like the Creator, a journey not yet completed, but oriented towards both the paradigmatic past events, Christ's death and resurrection, and the future victory of God in Christ. This dual orientation, as Dunn explains, is not just a theological concept, but also provides practical norms and goals for Christian living in the present world. It's a shift from a focus on ritualistic and ethnic markers to a broader understanding of a life lived in accordance with the transformative power of Christ's message. Also, Dunn focuses on the Apostle Paul's concluding remarks to the Galatian church, characterized by blessings and warnings. These remarks are pivotal in understanding Paul's stance on the relationship between Jewish traditions and the Christian gospel. Dunn notes that Paul uses the term rule, canon, to describe his own way of life and as a standard against the other gospel. This rule is a summary of Paul's teaching, urging the Galatians to prioritize the gospel above ethnic identities and ritual practices. Paul hopes that they, like himself, will see ethnic and ritual distinctions as irrelevant compared to the message of the cross. Paul's blessing in this passage is deeply rooted in Jewish tradition. He uses terms like peace, shalom, and mercy, ilios in Greek, translating the Hebrew hesed, which are central to Jewish theology, symbolizing God's covenant faithfulness. This choice is significant because Paul extends these traditionally Jewish blessings to those who follow his rule which de-emphasizes the importance of circumcision, a key Jewish identity marker. Dunn explores two interpretations of the phrase, the Israel of God. The first suggests a redefinition of Israel to include Christ's believers, especially Gentiles, aligning with Paul's broader message in Galatians. The second interpretation, which Dunn favors, is more inclusive, suggesting that Paul is referring to the Jewish people in their covenant identity, and also including Gentile believers. This view aligns with Paul's theology that sees the gospel fulfilling Abraham's promise, extending blessings to Gentiles. Overall, Dunn portrays Paul's message as one that maintains Jewish identity and traditions while embracing an inclusive view of God's covenant. Paul's teachings highlight the continuity between Israel's religion and faith in Jesus as the Messiah, 
extending covenant blessings to all believers, transcending ethnic boundaries. Moreover, Dunn focuses on the Apostle Paul's expression of exasperation and fatigue due to the troubles stirred up by certain individuals in the Galatian churches. This frustration is captured in Paul's plea, From now on let no one cause me trouble, which Dunn sees as a sign of Paul's mental and spiritual exhaustion. This exhaustion, Dunn suggests, stems from the various challenges Paul faced in his mission work particularly the conflict and opposition that marked his efforts to spread the gospel among the Gentiles. In this section, Dunn probes into Paul's statement, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. He interprets this as a reference to the literal scars and physical consequences Paul endured due to beatings and other forms of persecution during his missionary activities. These marks, Dunn disputes, are not just physical scars but symbolize Paul's deep identification with the sufferings of Christ. This identification is a critical aspect of Paul's apostolic ministry and serves as a testament to his commitment to Christ's message. Dunn examines the term stigmata, marks, in its historical and cultural context. He notes that while the term could refer to the branding of slaves, a more fitting interpretation in Paul's case might be the ancient practice of marking oneself as a sign of dedication to a deity. This practice would align with Paul's view of his sufferings as a way of sharing in Christ's own experiences of pain and death. Furthermore, Dunn indicates Paul's unusual choice of referring to Jesus by his personal name, without any titles suggesting a deliberate focus on the human aspects of Jesus' suffering and death. This emphasis, Dunn argues, reinforces the notion that Paul's own sufferings as a missionary are not just personal trials, but are integral to his identification with Christ's sacrifice. In sum, Dunn interprets Galatians 6.17 as a poignant reflection of Paul's struggles and sacrifices for his faith, with his physical scars serving as both a literal and symbolic connection to the sufferings of Christ, maintaining the authenticity of his apostolic mission and authority. Last but not least, Dunn offers a deep insight into the Apostle Paul's concluding remarks in his letter to the Galatians, Dunn interprets this farewell as a reflection of Paul's customary practice in his epistles, where he typically uses grace in his benedictions. This term grace, as Dunn notes, replaces the more conventional epistolary closing of farewell, carrying a profound significance in Christian theology. It reiterates the concept of divine generosity and initiative, a central theme in Paul's teachings. Dunn repeats two distinctive aspects of Paul's farewell in Galatians. First, the reference to the human spirit in this verse is unique within the context of this epistle. Dunn suggests this might be a subtle reminder of the greater importance of spiritual unity through the Holy Spirit, as opposed to physical or ethnic identifiers like circumcision. This interpretation aligns with Paul's broader theological emphasis on spiritual rather than ethnic or ritualistic ties. Secondly, Paul's use of the term, my brothers, is particularly noteworthy according to Dunn. This phrase is rare in Paul's valedictions, appearing only here and in Ephesians. Dunn sees this as Paul's attempt to reaffirm the communal bond among the Galatians as members of the household of faith. This term, Dunn contends, serves to soften the overall sternness of the epistle, reminding the Galatians of their shared faith and identity in Christ. Finally, Dunn discusses the significance of the word Amen at the close of the letter. He interprets it as an expression of Paul's earnest hope for a positive response from the Galatians. This hope is not just for the resolution of specific issues addressed in the letter, 
but also for the broader spiritual unity and growth of the Galatian church. Dunn suggests that Paul's use of Amen was intended to resonate with the congregation, inviting them to join in this aspiration for harmony and understanding within their community. In conclusion, Dunn's study on the Apostle Paul's epistles reveals Paul's strategic use of personal postscripts and distinct literary styles to underline his theological messages. Dunn notes that Paul often concluded his letters with handwritten sections, diverging from the main body likely dictated to a scribe. These postscripts, found in passages such as Galatians 6.11 and 1 Corinthians 16.21-24, served as a platform for Paul to reinforce key themes and clarify his stance, particularly on controversial topics like circumcision. This practice mirrored broader epistolary traditions, allowing Paul a final emphatic word to underscore his messages. In addition, Dunn examines Paul's use of large letters, a stylistic choice carrying deep significance. While some theories suggest physical impairments like poor eyesight as a reason, Dunn leans towards the interpretation that these large letters were intentionally used to accentuate the urgency and importance of Paul's messages, ensuring they commanded attention and understanding among his audience. Further, the theological and cultural conflicts within the early Christian community form another key aspect of Dunn's analysis. He delves into the tensions surrounding circumcision a pivotal issue that marked a significant divide between Jewish Christian missionaries and Paul's teachings. Paul's epistles, as Dunn illustrates, cleverly juxtapose Greek and Jewish perspectives to affirm these conflicts. The issue of circumcision wasn't just a physical act, but a symbol of deeper cultural and religious dynamics, reflecting the struggles in defining Christian identity and practice in the face of Jewish traditions. Besides, Dunn explores Paul's transformation from a staunch upholder of Jewish law to advocating a faith centered on Christ's crucifixion. This shift indicates a profound re-evaluation of traditional values, with the crucifixion symbolizing the rejection of worldly perspectives and the embrace of a new, transformative Christian ethos. In sum, Dunn's study sheds light on Paul's complex and nuanced approach to addressing theological issues and cultural conflicts, highlighting his adept use of literary techniques and deep understanding of the cultural and religious landscape of his time.